Hello, friend. Welcome to Stems and Leaves, a show where we talk about intersectionality in STEM. As I shared last episode, we're shifting away from interviews and focusing on some cool stories that relate to STEM or intersectionality. This week, I want to talk about urban foraging. This topic has been on my radar for a few years. When I was growing up in Indiana, my mom took my sister and I out foraging a lot. More traditional and out of the city, we'd go to parks and forests and gather raspberries and blackberries. Sometimes in the spring, we'd go out and hunt for mushrooms. When I was in high school, a love of tea motivated me to explore herbalism. I learned a lot about the useful medicinal plants that can be found growing in the wild, and across fields and forests in the Midwest, these things are freely available. So when I was up for a bit of an adventure, I'd go out to the woods and look for borage, nettle, and echinacea. The herbs I'd find were referenced with plant encyclopedias, and if it checked out, with 99% certainty, bundles of leaves were set to dry in the pantry and then later stored in jars. I kept up this practice of foraging once I started living on my own. Where I had easy access to parks and wooded areas, or had neighbors that were eager to share, I was able to harvest regularly. Hikes out in the hills often ended with a basket or bag full of some herbs and fruits. Although I admit, more often than not, I'd just stock up on my lavender and peppermint at the local apothecary, because it's easier than finding a wildly growing patch. But this summer, while I was out in D.C. for work, I found my curiosity for foraging renewed. In the neighborhood I was staying in in D.C., there was a wealth of dense gardens with all sorts of herbs, veggies, fruits, and flowers. On an evening stroll, I might pass a peach tree, a plum tree, a huge bushel of lavender, or a stout rosemary plant. And it was really easy to just pinch off a sprig of some herb here or there, or grab a fresh apple when no one was looking. It was easy to forage on a micro scale, you know, nothing more than what would fit in my pockets. But I got curious. With all of these fresh things growing so abundantly, what are some guidelines for harvesting legally, sustainably, and safely? I turned to the internet and found a few lovely guides to the phenomena of urban foraging. Across the world, many cities have preserved in some way, shape, or form some of the natural food sources that allowed their communities to develop in the first place. Whether that be through natural dispersion of seeds and sprouts, or strategic gardening to preserve natural species, both promote the growth of food in urban spaces. Where I'm from, we've got apple trees and mulberry bushes in abundance. It seems simple enough that where it grows, people will harvest. And foraging itself is a practice as old as humanity. From our earliest days as a hunter-gatherer species, we've depended on harvesting wild-growing things. In fact, the food that was harvested and not hunted in these old societies was a far more significant portion of a group's caloric intake. We've been dependent on these practices for a very long time, and it wasn't until human tribes began settling and practicing farming that some of these foraging behaviors began to wane. In America, urban foraging has been on the rise in recent decades. For some, it's a fun way to enhance their purchased food. As culinary trends shift, a lot of restaurants in the industry promote wild found food on their menu as a new adventure in fine dining. However, there are also a lot of Americans that use foraging simply to get by, to supplement their regular food intake. 
with such significant disparity in food access across cities and towns and a tremendous amount of food waste from grocery stores and restaurants, a lot of people use foraging to improve their food security and nutrition. And even among the types of people that may participate in urban foraging, there are a lot of types of foraging they may practice. For example, I tend to be an herbal forager. Fruits, veggies, and nuts aren't the big draw for me, but I will hunt the whole city for a wild patch of valerian. Um, you know, some people are interested in mushrooms, which is a cool practice to be a part of, if you know what you're looking for and you know exactly what sort of fungus you've picked. Um, and of course, there's generalists that may pick and pluck anything they see on their walk through the park. Urban foraging is also a huge part of the practice of freeganism, which is limiting one's participation in conventional consumption. So instead of buying groceries weekly and contributing lots of waste and pollution, freegans, as they're called, will try to minimize those effects by recovering wasted food. Uh, this is usually associated with the idea of dumpster diving at restaurants and grocery stores, which are the main culprits for food waste in America. Um, so this group of urban foragers may, you know, raid rubbish bins, as well as harvest fresh fruits, veg, and herbs from public spaces. In D.C., a part of this movement was guerrilla gardens. Across the city, uh, in different ways, shapes, and forms, these guerrilla pop-up gardens uh, were just all over the place. Sometimes it would be a vertical garden made out of recycled pallets uh, that would be growing herbs. Um, sometimes berry bushes or a fruit tree that grows on the edge of a property would have a little sign that says, you know, go ahead and take this. Um, but this is also sort of a tenant uh, that supports freeganism and sort of limiting your involvement in, I guess, traditional popular society food consumption. But unfortunately, we have a lot of laws and restrictions um, in the spaces where food may be growing in urban areas that prevents a free-for-all. In general, a lot of parks discourage or outright ban foraging. And this makes sense, as parks are generally intended to host wildlife. And if humans were to come in and strip all the berry bushes and take all the medicinal greens, uh, you know, dig up whatever root veg happens to be growing, that could really compromise a food source for many organisms and sort of dismantle this balanced ecosystem. A big reason that parks have gotten more strict about foraging is the popularity of the herb ginseng. It's a perennial that is well known for its incredible health benefits. Not only is it pretty good for you, it's probably the most expensive plant in the world. The ginseng plant is valuable for its root, which is the part used in its medicinal practice. But to get a significant root growth, the plant has to be allowed to grow for 7, 10, sometimes 12 or 15 years. And once it's harvested, dried ginseng can cost you well over five or $600 per pound. And if it's wild harvested, you can charge even more. So given this booming herbal industry, it makes sense that some regulations were born from it. Ohio, in particular, added more regulations to ensure that natural resources in our public parks and spaces would not be compromised. Another aspect sort of beyond some of the legality to consider is that parks in most cities are not necessarily kept organically. A lot of spaces like this use fertilizers and pesticides to keep flowers and trees looking nice. And if you happen to ingest some of those, it could make you sick. 
So practicing urban foraging, one, in a space where you're legally allowed to, and two, in a space that you know exactly what's being applied to take care of these plants is very important. Other places where you might find fruits and herbs growing are private residences. In Columbus, there's a lot of fruit bushes and vines growing around the neighborhood. And while I was out in D.C., some people are cool enough to leave, you know, little signs out that say, help yourself to the plums, or take what you need, leave what you don't, to indicate that you're welcome to harvest there. Um, In spaces that lack a sign, I think it's absolutely appropriate to ask permission, especially if it's something that you can't necessarily find growing in an alley or a public park. I've had decent success asking people if I could take a handful of one herb or another, and with fruiting trees, people are usually pretty glad to have you take, you know, a bag or a basketful. You know, it's one less thing rotting in their yard. And luckily, some people have already done the work to figure out what's growing in your city, and more importantly, what you're allowed to harvest. Falling fruit is one such resource. It's a crowdsourced map where urban foragers can input the location and type of food they're harvesting. They also provide links to hundreds of other organizations that grow, harvest, and distribute food in urban spaces. You can check out their stuff at fallingfruit.org. That's F-A-L-L-I-N-G fruit.org. Over the past week, I've spent a lot of time seeing what's growing in my city, and it was incredible to just see how much diversity of food is available within just a few blocks of my house. Just north of me a little ways is a big pear tree on private property, but we've been given permission to harvest from. Down by the bike trails are tons of berry bushes, and across the river are patches of wild mustard greens. So if you're looking to get a start at urban foraging, I definitely recommend checking out this page. Another interesting point I want to bring up in this episode about the practice of urban foraging is how food laws support or prevent people from accessing these resources. As I mentioned, there are lots of people that use urban foraging to supplement their nutrition or increase their food security. Not surprisingly, there are a lot of laws that target certain groups to try and discourage these behaviors. A great article published in Fordham Urban Law Journal describes the policy and regulations that prevent these groups from practicing foraging in cities, and why there is a racist and classist legacy to our policies about this. The article is titled, Food Law Gone Wild, The Law of Foraging. The author, Balin Linekin, unpacks the history of foraging in America up to the modern practice and also proposes some ideal foraging laws for the future. These include legalizing foraging in parks, eliminating confusing rules, and most interesting to me, recognizing that foragers in many ways are conservationists. A link to this article can be found in the description or on our site at stemsandleaves.com. I don't have a lot of time to unpack this article, but I would highly recommend if you want to have a better understanding of the legal history behind urban foraging. That's going to do it for this episode, but please check out those articles and resources referenced in this episode to learn more. All links can be found at stemsandleaves.com. And this show would not be possible without the work of some amazing, talented artists. Thank you to Aaron Thomas Art for the album art for this show. 
It was fantastic. You can see all of Aaron's art over at his site, AaronThomasArt.com. A link will be included. Uh, and thank you to Rosie Ross for the use of our theme song, Feelin' Fool, from his first EP. A link to his music will also be included. Stems and Leaves releases an episode every other week with interesting new stories and ideas to share. Stay up to date at stemsandleaves.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to you, listener, for joining me today. This has been Stems and Leaves. I'm Emmy. Stay curious.